Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast assuming the brace position. My name's Corey Hazelhurst and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. We also have Patrick Cook, live from New York. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm good. Uh, it's uh, nice in New York for once, no humidity, and it's been an interesting week in uh, American politics. I'm glad it's been interesting over there because it's been pretty quiet in the UK. Nothing much is happening. No, nothing at all. Thank you also for getting up at seven o'clock in the morning before coming into work on a Saturday to record with us. Definitely a glutton for punishment. Uh, and so your inner masochism, I think, lends itself well to this podcast. Um, how is America doing? A lot of things are going on, Corey and Steve. A lot of things are going on. We have, you know, wildfires in the West. Uh, COVID is still... Uh, a thing, lots of relevations about American politics, uh, about various things in the presidential. The wonderful Congress basically left without passing any kind of uh, COVID extension bill, money for the post office. A lot of, a lot of fun, a ton of fun. It's, uh, it's, it's enjoyable to see the polarization of this country happen in real time at a faster rate than you'd like to see it. <laughs> well, just to cheer you up, there are eight weekends to go until the US presidential election. In this episode, we're not going to talk about the climate emergency, uh, I'm afraid. Um, what we are going to do, we're going to try and talk about the race as though this is a normal US presidential election, and then wildly speculate about how Donald Trump might try and steal the election anyway. start then Patrick with your president because um, the, the Trump campaign grid has had some interesting entries on it hasn't it over the past two or three weeks we've had Trump encouraging voters in North Carolina to vote twice uh, we've had about a week of conversation now I think uh, based on an article in the Atlantic confirmed by multiple news sources that he called fallen soldiers losers and suckers he've got um, accusing Obama and Biden of spying on his campaign and being built guilty of treason We've got disparaging mail-in voting and saying that this election will be the most rigged election ever, and that's the only way he'll lose. And we've also got him talking to Bob Woodward on tape, which is always a good idea, just ask Richard Nixon, about how Trump knew the coronavirus was quite deadly, even when he was playing it down in public and saying it was ordinary flu. It's a scattergun approach, isn't it? A kind of mixture of random hatred and strongman tactics. Oh, that's exhausting just to hear everything that has happened in the last couple of weeks as you say that. Um, the Woodward thing, just cut the middleman out. One-up Nixon and just talk directly to Bob Woodward. Don't have it re-recorded in a recording one. You know, it's uh, great to see. But, uh, yeah, the suckers and losers comments is really good. Uh, really, uh, really good for Biden because it strengthens him. It's something he's really passionate about. But I – will never understand the concept from Trump that the answer to any problem Trump has is more Trump. He, if he talks more, it's going to work out in his favor. But what's kind of interesting also on top of like everything else is that his like ad buys are quite interesting. He's not really showing uh, television ads in a lot of these states. He doesn't, he's not on the air based on ad buys in almost all the battleground states that would get him to 270. The Woodward one I think is going to hit stronger than 
the Jeffrey Goldberg article in the Atlantic because they have him recorded saying what he's saying, where the um, Goldberg article in the Atlantic was all anonymous. So anytime they want to substantiate something, Washington Post can re release a recording saying that's what Trump said. It's damning. But the question is, there's been so many controversies with Trump is that like, will it actually hit hard or is it just going to be, is this expected of Trump? They've built in that Trump's terrible. And is it really going to change, you know, this small amount of undecided voters that are still left is really the, I think, a question to ask because it's pretty much, they said a lot of, they think about, they think about 15% is the undecided vote still and most people have made up their mind already. The, the, the core thing actually with a lot of this isn't necessarily that it's going to impact on like undecided voters. I think by now, most people have, as you say, already made up their minds as to whether or not they like Trump or they can stomach him. It's whether or what I think the impact of a lot of this is, especially in relation to like the suckers and uh, the suckers and losers comments, is that this is the sort of thing which could potentially impact on Republican turnout because like, we don't necessarily talk about it that much in relation to uh, 2016. But one of the big, big, big reasons um, like the Republicans turned out in, in the way they did was because they hated Hillary Clinton. Um, for a multitude of reasons, some which have may have been legitimate, others which were just completely fanciful and farcical. But they absolutely detested her. They, as, a, as a rule, Biden doesn't generate that same kind of hate. So when you have somebody that's a lot more appealing, not necessarily even, you don't even need to be as appealing as to go as far as say, hey, I'm willing to vote for Biden. It's just if you've got somebody who they can tolerate versus somebody that even if they, they don't necessarily like, but they voted for previously, they might just sit on their asses and not actually turn out to vote. And that's where a lot, of, I feel like a number of um, these things kind of can, can play an impact because at the end of the day, you're attacking the military. Yes, he's got a bit of a, uh, a record on that, which doesn't seem to have impacted, but things do seem to be building up a little bit more now and sticking now people are actually paying attention to politics more. And you've also got the fact that the Republican base is older than the Democratic one. And you've got an absolutely farcical um, handling of the uh, COVID situation, which in turn is most likely to impact older voters so you could see how all of these things maybe start to build up into something which dampens enthusiasm for trump and just makes people just sit on their asses and and, and not actually turn out on vote uh, on on the actual polling day one of the things actually that i think is coming out of some of the polling in the election is that ordinary american voters actually seem to be a little bit more savvy and a bit less cynical than a lot of the American pundit class. Because as you say, Patrick, a lot of the reaction to anything Trump does from the pundit class is to say, oh, well, Trump is Teflon. Anything he says, it doesn't really matter. And you've seen that in a couple of ways. One of them is this idea that Trump is trying to play, uh, is trying to portray himself as this law and order candidate who can sort out the inner cities and Biden would um, sort of lay waste to them. And, and would cause chaos. And the other thing is about this idea of an October surprise that somehow there's a the, the Trump administration seems to be rolling the pitch to say we have a, a COVID vaccine in time for the election. Look at this, isn't this fantastic? Everything's going to come back to normal. What the polling seems to suggest is that A, actually voters say that Trump is inflaming tensions, whereas Biden's trying to cool them down. And so they're not sort of buying the Trump line and, and Trump's gambit on that. And the other thing that the polling says is that 
actually voters do think that some sort of vaccine October surprise story from Trump would just be made up for his own popularity and not actually be about resolving COVID. And so I think you've got an interesting dynamic where the pundits are trying to be cynical and say nothing matters, but actually voters are seeing through a lot of the one-dimensional stuff that Trump is doing. You're right. I think that more of the American voter is a little bit more savvier and uh, is uh, the, the pundit class immediately thinks, well, nothing's going to matter. And I think it's probably, that's a really good point. The question is, and this is always the issue with Trump things, is that do you, when he does something, how how long is the how long is the life cycle going to be for that until he does something else and gets replaced by something else and it gets moved on to another thing? Or are we like have we hit critical mass that this is you know doesn't matter like if he somehow pulls an October surprise out of himself like Comey did in 2016, which you know he's looking for something that he's going to be able to try to win in October, but like. Is it would it be too late because the 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 mind's already been set up? It it one no matter what he does in October, it's not like something like Comey did to, you know, Clinton, who again, in 2016, and this is why they were exactly saying to talk about this from like why, the polling numbers and why Biden's, uh, you know, lead is more stat is more stable than when Clinton was in 2016 was, most polls pollsters are now. Uh, weighing by education, which has found to be the most determinant about whether you're going to vote, whether you're going to vote for Trump or you're going to vote for Biden, that they did in 2016. So it's a much more state, it's a much more stable, stable lead, according to, you know, listening to all the electron, you know, election Twitter. I don't think you're going to have this October surprise that's going to change his whole mind and everybody is going to then say, oh, well, Biden did this, now I'm going to vote for Trump. I don't think, I think we're going to have hit critical mass no matter what he tries to pull in terms of something in October is really going to make a difference, unlike in 2016. The other point that Steve uh, made as well is that a lot of this is about how much of your base can you turn out? And I think I'm right in saying that more Republicans voted Republican in 2016 than Democrats voted Democrat. Um, and what the military comments might do is just erode Trump further with a, 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 with a lot of his base. And what Biden seems to be doing is keeping his base a little bit more intact. So those people who might, I think, who are registered Democrats who might not have voted in 2016 or voted third party seem to be coming to him. And the, we haven't talked since Kamala Harris was uh, made Biden's vice presidential nominee, but that seems to have done something to keep the Democrat coalition together. There was some interesting polling, I think they talked about on Pod Save America this week, where there's the race seems to be pretty static, as you say. You've, you've got lots of people who've got very fixed views on Biden and or Trump. I'm going to change their mind. You've got about 13% of voters who aren't decided yet. And you've got about 5% of voters who haven't decided how they're going to vote yet, but are, are Trump curious. And those people don't really like Trump, don't think he's doing well on coronavirus, but think that he's done well on the economy which is based on some dodgy stuff anyway isn't it this idea that the debt was under control before covid when it wasn't because of the tax cuts um but i imagine that we're not going to see i mean is there anything trump can do to try and win them over over the next is the october surprise gonna be to try and shift those people in a few states but those are definitely the people trump needs to focus on and that october surprise you mentioned is almost certainly i think at the moment the only hail mary that that Trump has to actually bring them in. But as, as you say, I feel like average American voter is probably a lot more savvy than a lot of the political class are giving them giving them credit for. I just don't see how Trump is able to actually get anywhere with these groups of people, given his 
like we talked about like their uh you know their messaging board and and, and all of that and their approach to the campaign but the reality is the, the trump's campaign is completely reactive to whatever trump is saying um they're constantly um in, in a firefighting mode where whatever the latest thing that trump says is what they have to focus on which means they're not able to necessarily run a proper campaign with a, with effective messages. So by traditional means, I, I'm struggling to see how Trump could win those people on, uh, win those people back. The only way I can see happening, and we'll lump this in with the October surprise, um, would be uh, Biden making a major gaffe. Because if he did something that maybe gave a bit of credence to the notion, to, to the attacks that the Republicans have been doing, that, oh, he's got, he's got dementia, you know, there's, he, he's a bit too old for this, even though obviously it's like... Like maybe, a pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, maybe Biden screws up in some form, maybe during the debates, that's, that's a possibility. But all in all, I'm... I am struggling to see at the moment how Trump can actually win those those people round. I think a lot of them either don't turn out, or if they do turn out, they're probably more likely to turn out for Biden. Um, and there's been polling that backs this up so far. Like I think on our on previous discussions, Patrick's mentioned how um, the waverers last time round were the ones that win it for for Trump when uh, because they didn't like Hillary. Well. That's where we are this time, but they're much more in line with backing Biden, primarily because he's not Hillary Clinton. And I feel like that's a, uh, something that Trump can't counter. As, as much as like, Trump wants to try and portray Biden as being in the pocket of like, you know, the progressive left-wing movement, that's actually a win <laughs> for, uh, for most people. Because it's like, oh, um, a lot of people are going to be fine with that. And also a lot of people are just going to go, but it's, but it's Joe Biden. We know Joe Biden. We know what his record is. We don't believe that. We talk about Teflon Trump, but Biden's pretty non-stick at the moment as well. You brought up for a couple of really good points. And I think one of the things is that like the, the Trump attacks on Biden just aren't landing. No one will believe that he's controlled by the radical left because he's never been proven, proven to it. To your point related to a gaffe from Biden, you're absolutely right. He can't have a gaffe similar to what happened on the Breakfast Club during. Uh, did you hear about this thing? It's a nationwide like radio show that's a predominantly on like rap station. They were talking about it, and they are these guys have no holds barred. At the end, basically, they were talking about it, and he said a comment along the lines of, "If you don't vote for me, you're not black." Was what Biden was what Biden said in um, March after you know it looked like he was going to be the nominee, right? In in favor of Biden, he was able to. Uh, this is before the George Floyd killing. This is like before, and it was in the news for a while, but then was replaced. But then got got replaced by other things. So he got like a really big kind of a bailout for a comment that was incredibly off you know, uh, uh, off-putting, but he can't have another thing where he's uh, allowing himself to just like one, because the, if he does that, that is just, that is something that Trump could just hit, hit, hit it on. I think that there is going to be depressed Republican turnout, as you said. And I think because I feel like, yeah, Biden, the, the, the right wing media hasn't spent 20 years vilifying Biden like it did for Hillary Clinton. And I think Military comments are really an interesting one because most of those people that are the, that would be affected by his comments related to military are a voting 
group that won him the election 2016, which is white non-educated voters. Even if it's even if it changes the mind of five to ten percent, you know, five to ten percent in some of these swing states, or even you know less than five percent, he's still winning the white non-educated voter, especially male one. And if that comment hits even a bit. It depresses it in very close ones like Michigan and Pennsylvania, where these are small enough ones. It may mean something to, if you change 2% of voters' minds that he could lose closely in some of these states that he barely won in 2016. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's the kind of the real thing is the real thing here is you, you, you at least when I've kind of looked at like the online discussions, there's an awful lot of people kind of looking at the uh, like the national kind of like polling averages and saying that they're, they're kind of hinging on the ups and downs of, 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 of it all. But as you said earlier, Biden's lead's pretty, pretty stable right now. It's pretty, I think it's essentially the, the, the most stable lead that we've, we've seen in terms of like um, presidential polling for, for quite a while. But when you look at things on the state level, things are in a very, very tricky position for Trump. They always have been. If he doesn't get Florida, which is kind of a, a 50-50 bet, it could go either way, I think, at the moment. He's basically done. If he doesn't get um, Michigan, for, 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 for instance, like he did last time, he's got to make that up elsewhere, which probably means he needs to win, win Wisconsin, which might be doable. It's an interesting case study in a state that's going red um, over time, but it's not necessarily there now. So, you know, Trump has a very narrow path to victory, and I think that's reflected in, in, in into a lot of... Well, I think that's something that's not reflecting in a lot of the analysis. So if you take a look at 538 um, election forecast, which obviously, you know, it's it's one model. It's not like the be all and end all. There are going to be flaws with it in some form. But currently, Biden's got a 75 percent chance um, to win as of the day that we're we're recording this. Um, Trump has a 24 chance to win and there's a 1% chance of a tie. That would be hilarious, by the way. It, it really would be hilarious. It would be 2020 to perfection if that actually did happen. Like, I, I, I couldn't even be angry about that just because it was clear that reality is just trolling us at that point. Um, but it's also hilarious to you guys because it's uh, not your country. That, that is also true, yeah. <laughs> um, there's too much optimism here at the moment. So, <laughs> is... Um, I'm not worried that if this was a completely free and fair election, I'd be fairly confident as I, if I was in Biden's shoes at the moment for a lot of the reasons that Steve has outlined. But what I am a little bit worried about, and we haven't really talked about that, is the disparaging of mail-in voting from Trump, the fact that in North Carolina he's talking about people, encouraging people to vote twice, which apparently is illegal. And there's a, a body, the Transition Integrity Project, the Transition Integrity Project, which is a non-partisan group, which was set up. What they've done is bring together Republicans, Democrats. I think people like say, I think Colin Powell's former chief of staff have taken part in various war games, looking at how they think Democrats, Republicans might react to certain scenarios like a big Biden win, a big Trump win, a narrow Trump win, a narrow Biden win. A situation a bit like 2016 where Biden wins the popular vote but Donald Trump wins the Electoral College and essentially what seems to happen in most of these scenarios is civil and unrest violence protests on the streets and general constitutional mayhem and chaos I think in the narrow Biden win scenario that war game ended with the Secret Service essentially having to escort Trump out of the Oval Office 
in in January. And actually, well, I think there's a poll this week about 75% of Democrat voters think that Trump won't accept the result of the election if he loses. And the other thing is, I suppose, and we we're talking about this before we started recording, so I'd be interested to, if you want to expand on this, Patrick, is one thing that could happen, I suppose, is uh, if uh, most Republicans are going to vote in person, it seems, most Democrats will vote uh, mail-in ballots. Therefore, on election night, it may well look like Trump is ahead in a lot of states. But um, once all the votes are counted in two or three weeks' time, if Biden would be ahead because the Democrat votes are all going to be counted afterwards. And so is there a little bit of a worry that Trump will just declare victory on election night and not open any mail-in ballots? Uh, yes. But I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is hopefully the news organizations, they usually pull off the AP. The Associated Press usually is where most of the uh, national news organizations will pull their numbers from. Trump will declare victory if people, if, if, if the states are being called on election night by NBC News, by ABC, by Fox and stuff like that, the media needs to, needs to keep, needs to, uh, be very good about keep saying the comment that this is just the election day voting, you know, mail and ballot and not declaring the apparent winner based on the one thing, because that will only f fuel the fire for Trump supporters that look, the elections are being called. And again, another comment to rem remember about elections, and it's worth repeating, election numbers are unofficial totals. Until the election is certified, which is like in New York is three weeks after, technically nobody has won. I think Patrick kind of kind of hit, hit the nail on the head there when he's talking about the the role of the, like the media in all of this, because uh, as as he says, so much of like election night coverage and declaring, oh, so and so has won this state, the other person's won this state, is down to um, analysis of the by the media organisations. It's effectively just like, oh God, what is it? What's it called in the UK when we get the uh, prediction? on the night um the final exit poll. yeah that's it exit poll. catastrophe yeah. i think usually. <laughs> usually for us but it, it's based off of exit polls and analysis and formulas and all of these different things granted as it's normally done by the ap who have a very good reputation on these sorts of things and a lot of the media organizations will go off of that which is great and brilliant and it gives a level of trust in the process but at the same time we have interesting precedents uh, like for instance with uh, bush's first election um where fox declared florida for bush when other places weren't and, and things like that so there is a lot of potential here and i, I i'm going to be really interested to see actually what ap do in response to to all of this because their formula is almost certainly going to take into account mail-in ballots and things that haven't been counted. And they'll kind of go, well, we know there have been X many mail-in vote, votes cast because these things get get promoted ahead of time and, 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 uh, and are known in a lot of states. So we can say of that, we can estimate X many percentage are Democrat, uh, Y percentage are Republican. Therefore, this is what we're going to do. What I hope is that AP will actually kind of announce that up front and kind of effectively show their model because um, otherwise they run the risk of some some kind of being accused of bias and, and, and people not knowing what's going on. And I feel like they need to, to just be up front and say, this is the approach we're taking. It may not be perfect, but at the end of the day, you shouldn't be declaring victory until the last vote is counted. So we're going to rely on the media to behave responsibly and everything's going to be fine. I'm yeah. very good, Steve. Thank you for that. It's the only thing we've got. The other thing 
too to keep in mind is that exit polls in this election are going to be completely off. Yeah. So because if you're going to have a large mail-in of voting, and by the way, there really isn't like in the full mail-in states, exit pollings don't really matter now. And most of these, in case of the states that are mostly mail-in voting, they're, they're going to they overwhelmingly vote for Democrats being Washington, Oregon, full mail, Hawaii. But yeah, it's going to be coming down to people having some actual restraint and not wanting to break, you know, break news and get ahead of anybody else and be truthful with people. Okay. I'm still not reassured, but I don't think anything will actually reassure me until... Uh, no. This is why I've given up trying, and I'm just trying to give a, an alternate view. You will eventually be proven right, or I will eventually proven right. I, like, I've given up. I'm not being pessimistic, I'm not being optimistic. I'm just like, okay, this is news. Uh, don't react to it. Something else is going to come along the way, and you'll be mad at that as well. So don't waste your anchor tank now. Use it for the day after the election when everything's you know could be like... Who knows? Who knows if your town's going to be there tomorrow? Anger isn't necessarily the problem, Patrick. It's more despair, actually. Yeah. But um, okay. this is the level of cheeriness that we normally end our podcasts on. Well, I could give it. I could be positive about it if you want. Some other positive stuff along the along for my wonderful party of the Democrats. Yeah. Should we talk about them very, very briefly? As said before, we haven't spoken since Kamala Harris was chosen as vice president. It feels like a bit of a pretty safe pretty middle-of-the-road pick, keeps the Democrat coalition together, doesn't really frighten the horses, but generally good, I think. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, so Kamala Harris was a really good choice. She's super confident, uh, competent, but I also think that a lot of people play her off as uh, pretty moderate uh, because of her, you know, um, her uh, re- you know, reputation record as the, D- as the DA and an attorney general, but she's actually pretty decently liberal in, in, in her time in the Senate career. So I think she's confident. I think she's really good. Um, uh, I have, uh, I wasn't a really giant fan of her before, but I've been really impressed with, with her and her control and her able with one. And she seems to, uh, get the good pulse of, of, of it. And I think it was a really good choice. I I think she was a good choice, no matter what thing, but, uh, in particular, she, gave confidence to, to a lot of Biden choices and stuff that she has, uh, you know, background as a DA and attorney general. And also I like that they picked her from a state that will stay democratic. Cause if you had picked Tammy Duckworth or the other versions, there's a chance that that seat could flip. I'm not really worried about it. Uh, odds on favorite, by the way, for her replacement, if they win Katie Porter would be my odds on favorite to be the next Senator of California. My unbidden predictions as well. This podcast has everything. Um, <laughs> but to, to be positive about the Democrats, it's looking decently well in the Senate for us. It looks like, you know, Susan Collins numbers, she hasn't really led in, any, in, in, a, in a public poll, only internal, internal, you know, party polls and looking much more better than expected in Montana. It looks like Colorado is going to be a flip. You know, there's positives in, in North Carolina, uh, the, it, the numbers are a lot closer than people expect in South Carolina. I don't think he'll be able to flip that. Alabama, they're going to lose anyway. Uh, but there's a lot of and and it it's looking possible that maybe in Georgia one of the two seats are going to flip. I think you're more likely to see John Ossoff win the seat than the other one because the other one's a jungle primary, as they call it. The numbers are looking well. Looks like possibly based on the last kind of like um, uh, predictions that they're going to lose every the the Democrats are going to hold on to their House seats except for one and possibly expand their House majority. So there's a real possibility that there might be a 
decent, you know, a decent chance of a of a Democratic hold Senate, uh, and 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 on the state legislative races, there's a there's really good chances of of some Democratic trifectas, which would be awesome to see, uh, or at least breaking Republican trifectas as to uh, limit the damage Republicans can do in gerrymandering in two years in most of these states. On that unexpectedly optimistic note, we're going to wrap up. Uh, thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. If you want to support us on Patreon, the website address is patreon.com forward slash not enough champagne. In about three minutes time, Steve and I are going to record a very quick episode for our champagners looking at the stuff that's happened in UK politics this week. We're probably going to talk for about five minutes because as I said, it's been pretty quiet. Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. Our Twitter handle is at nochampagnepod. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram and Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Plucky Good Times. My Twitter handle is at paperbackwriter. Uh, I'm at Acoustic Radical. At pcook11. Happy <laughs> Gotham. <laughs>